tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Here we are again, giving it the old college try to see if all the computers and broadcasters and wires and gizmos will cooperate. Let's pray. (laughs) That works, I have no doubt. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Oh, boy. Well, today's, uh, well, let's, uh, no, let's go to the first reading first. We're going to work on the first reading today, and we'll work on the gospel reading in the uh, in the word of the day. But this is Romans, the eighth chapter, the 26th verse and following. But I want to click on that little uh, dealie there uh, at, the, at the USCCB site and go to the whole chapter. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, that's that's saying a whole lot. Well, who are in Jesus the Messiah, you know, that uh, there's now no condemnation. Well, read the fine print for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have to ask myself, am I in Christ Jesus? The law of the spirit of life in Christ is freed from the law of sin and death. And what I've been talking about is that that the law of Moses does not breathe. And that's what spirit means. It means breath, uh, wind or breath, but primarily breath, like getting the wind knocked out of you. Uh, so... The law of the spirit of life in Jesus the Messiah has freed you from the law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death, he's talking about the Torah. Uh, um, He's not talking about the Ten Commandments, but he's talking about the ritual law and the the law that kept them apart. It was was a dead law. It was written in stone. It it didn't breathe. Um, The law, weakened by the flesh, was powerless to do what God wanted to be done. So he sent his son, and he showed us that death is not all it's cracked up to be. And uh, that's to go into, you know, I remember hearing someone um, who was an atheist, and it just, it's going to grate on your ears. I say it simply because this is a reasonable consideration for a person who doesn't know the power of the cross and the beauty of Christ. This atheist said to me, so a Jew had a bad afternoon. How does that save me? Oh, I just broke my heart when he said that because he was so far from from realizing that 
you know, the Lord stretched out his arms on the cross and said, this is the extent to which God will go to say, I love you. Uh, We could spend a long time just on that. But he's talking about those who live according to the flesh. This is verse 5, chapter 8. Are concerned with the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit with the things of the spirit. The concern of the flesh, verse 7, is hostility to God. It does not submit to the law of God, nor can it. Uh, that, that, that I have a law in my flesh, St. Paul says elsewhere, that, that the flesh wants what it, it wants. Verse 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You are not in the flesh. On the contrary, you are in the spirit. If only the spirit of God dwells in you, whoever does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. All right, let's look at that. Let's change the word. If the breath of God dwells in you, you're not in the flesh. Whoever does not have the breath of Christ does not belong to him. I can claim to be a Christian and be just one of the rottenest people around. I don't have the breath of Christ about me. When you come close to me, you don't smell Christ. You smell my stinking flesh. Uh, But if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, when I, whenever I hear righteousness, I think I'm right, you're wrong. I'm good, you're bad. Neener, neener. (laughs) That's not righteousness. Righteousness is, I believe, to be conformed to the image of Christ, which is the visible image of the invisible father, to become godly. Righteousness involves generosity. I've met some people who would be called righteous who are just mean. Um, they never did anything wrong. But their whole their whole framework was was self-centered and narrow-minded and, and all about them. You know, I'm racking up points for heaven, you sucker, you. And that's, that's not righteousness. Righteousness is to be made over in the image of God. So... Uh, Consequently, we're not debtors to the flesh, but to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, this this word is flesh. It's 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 sarks, it a sarcophagus. That's the word sarcophagus comes from this word for flesh. It means a flesh eater. The grave will eat your flesh. Your your flesh avails nothing. It's dead. Your body is important, but your flesh. Meh. Have you ever considered that that I think just about every cell in the human body supposedly is is renewed every seven years or something. Um, you're the same person you were when you were a little kid, but your flesh is a totally different collection of molecules and atoms and hormones and all that stuff. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the, the spirit, if by this breath, you put uh, to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, now, he gets into his big theme in verse 15. You did not receive a a breath of slavery, a spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, but you received the breath of adoption, the spirit of adoption, through which we cry, Abba, Father, Papa. You know, that that this idea of adoption, he's going to go into this theme now, the spirit. The, the breath of God itself bears witness with our breath that we are children of God. I'm, when you hear me say breath, it's the same word as spirit in Greek. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If only we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified with him. You know, this is this sounds when you when you 
take bits and pieces of this. It sounds great. No suffering. Everything's wonderful. Jesus died on the cross for me. I don't have to suffer. No, St. Paul says we suffer with him because he suffered. We're conformed to his image. He suffered because of the futility of, of, of the world. When you think about it, he wept at the death of Lazarus. Death upset the Son of God. And, and we are upset by it too. Now, this word for glory, I shared with it, you got to understand what glory is in the biblical sense. When we think of glory, we think of, of uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous. We think of notoriety. That's not glory. The word glory in Greek, doxa, and the, the verb is the same. It means to, it, it, it has the sense, I think it's related to the term for shining forth. In other words, who you are is manifested. That's glory. On the cross, Jesus was manifested as who he was, the obedient and faithful son of God. That's why we suffer. You know, if you follow the Lord only when going is good, well, you're not really following the Lord. You're following uh, the perks of, of the faith. But if you are with Christ through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad times, that manifests who you are. That's your glory. Remember, when Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, talks about glory, he's talking about the cross. When Judas goes out to set the chain of events in motion that will end in his crucifixion, he said, now is the, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. When the Greeks came to offer him political asylum in the Gospel of John, he said, unless the grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. Father, glorify your Son. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Glory is the cross as well as the resurrection. And somebody wrote me a note or called in and asked, why, what the Protestants say, why do the Catholics have the body and the cross? He rose from the dead. And I pointed out that he carried the cross in his resurrection. He had the holes in his hands and feet and side. He carried the cross. He didn't carry the crown of thorns. But he, we don't hear about the scourge marks, but the marks of the nails and the spear. What happened to him on the cross, those did not disappear in the resurrection. They were his marks of glory. All right. <clears throat> now, creation awaits with eager expectation the revelation of the children of God. And we talked about how creation was made imperfect so that we should long for heaven. And now we get into, into today. We know that all creation is groaning in labor pains even until now. We ourselves are the first fruits of the, of the Spirit. We also groan within ourselves as we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. This is interesting. The, our, our adoption includes the, resur the, the redemption of our bodies. You know, the difference between... I've shared this, so you probably know it. But I'll share it again. Uh, the, the idea of redemption... What is redemption? It's a, it literally means to buy back. Uh, um, that, that if you were taken in slavery, in, in, you're captured by pirates to be sold into slavery or captured in war to be sold into slavery. That was the big deal. Um, uh, that's where you made your money in slaves. Uh, a general made huge amount of money and captured, and captured enemies, sold them in the, in the slave markets. If your family knew where you were, they would go and they would buy you back and restore you to your position in the family. Keep that in mind, that salvation isn't enough. To be saved is to be, is to be snatched from imminent death. To be redeemed, well, uh, uh, 
the, the, to be redeemed, to be bought back, that completes the process. And so what St. Paul is saying is we're, we're even awaiting the redemption of our bodies. Uh, um, that, that it isn't enough, uh, to, to, uh, um, uh, to go to heaven when you die. We're, our bodies, my body is really me. We're not souls trapped in flesh. We're incarnate spirits. So, and the word here is body, not flesh. There's a difference. And remember, we pointed that out the other day. So, I'm, I'm just, I love this stuff. Okay. In hope we were saved. Oh, that's got to be for another day. Uh, we're saved in hope. Um, there's just too much to talk about this. Well, now, verse 28, let me look at the clock. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. I love that verse in scripture. All things work for good for those who love God. This word good, agathon, means a good thing. All, all things work for good, agathon. And... St. Paul mentions the good more than 20 times, I believe, uh, this word agathos. We talked about kalos, which means something that is lovely, it is beautiful. Virtue is kalos. It's a, it's a word, a kind of goodness. It's a kind of moral beauty, a moral goodness. The word agathon is, is the most general word for good, that which is good. It is useful, it is, it is beneficial, all these things. More than any other book of the New Testament, as far as I can tell, the letter to the Romans talks about the good. The good. And that's what he's saying, is that all people strive for the good. Have you ever thought, no one sins because they want the bad? They think that what they're going for is good. I'm going to rob this bank and life is going to be great after that. Well, it isn't. But they are deluded in their in their understanding, and the devil is a liar, the father of all lies. So, the true good is the gift of God, and we're called according to His purpose. Now, the reformers looked at this, Calvin and Luther, and they saw predestination. Those he pre, in verse thirty, those he predestined, he also called. We're predestined to go to heaven or hell. They said, no, we're not. This, this passage doesn't mention heaven or hell. What's it, what's it talking about? It's talking about the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. The, the, the glory, the shining forth, uh, in a world that, that is in desperate need of, of, of goodness and truth. And there are people who are called according to God's purpose. And everything that's happening to you, even your sufferings, are working for the good. Not just your good, but for the good. They were for the good. We know all things work for good for those who love God. It isn't good for me. It's just good. And I'm a gift to the world for the goodness in my suffering and my difficulties. The point is that I am given to the world. There's another passage uh, that uh, he went up taking many captives and he gave to the world apostles and prophets and we're given to the world. Those he, he, he called some people and he predestined them to be conformed to his image. This is so beautiful. Those the verse 29, I, I, I promise to tell you this. And now if you, if I've been confusing the whole time, listen up now, verse 29, those he foreknew, he predestined. And that word predestined means to designate ahead of time 
to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And I believe that's he's talking about in this world. We who are called into the church are, are, are designated to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is God's purpose in your life? Hey, listen up. I'm going to tell you God's plan for your life. God's purpose in your life is to make you look like Jesus so that he can adopt you. Your destiny is to become part of that family, which is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Fourth member of the Trinity is the church. And we are, we are seated in the heavenlies, as St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, that we are destined to become part of that oneness, that family, which is God. God is not a solitude. God is a solidarity. Three persons in one God, plus those of us whom he is destined who accept that calling. Now, this is, this is, if you say, Lord, why is this happening to me? The answer is so that you can be conformed to the image of his son. Maybe I'll talk more about that tomorrow. His purpose is to make you look like Jesus. What does Jesus look like? He's risen and glorious and holes in his hands and feet inside. That, that, that God's purpose is to make you look like Jesus so that he can adopt you. Whoa, that's amazing, isn't it? Well, that's what this is about. This whole letter is, is about, about the freedom of the sons of God and the manifestation of God's law in both Jew and Gentile. It isn't different for Jew or Gentile that all of them are called to a common purpose, whereas they're looking at like, oh, you're a Jew, I don't like you. Oh, you're a Roman, you're a Greek, you worship these weird gods, God doesn't love you. St. Paul is saying the law is written in every heart. We have all failed in the law, but God has sent his son to help us to become what he wants us to become. That is his sons and daughters that Jesus might be the first of many brothers and sisters, and that the world might know that God loves it. Um, oh gosh, I could go on, as you can imagine, a long time about this. But what can separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, we read in verse 35, anguish, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril of the sword. No, in all these things we are conquerors. We more than conquer. That was in morning prayer today. Uh, we conquer overwhelmingly. And these are just a few little people are getting beat up because they're Christians. Uh, they're being chased out of towns by people who should be their, their, their lancemen, as we say in the old country, their, their fellow citizens, but no. God wants to make you his son or daughter in this world so that the world can look at you and see the beauty of Christ and come to know God's love and so be saved from the death of flesh. All right. I love this stuff. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's go to, uh, I think we can go to, uh, what's that thing? Oh yeah. Mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. Oh, yes, the love come to go down. <laughs> Great song. I love hymns. <laughs> I talked about funerals. Yet. I do. I love a good hymn. A, a really good hymn can, can bring you to tears. However, <laughs> there are not many good hymns out there. This is from Greg. Um, uh, that he chuckled on the show. Uh, uh, 
when I talked about funerals yesterday, that people would play My Way at funerals. Father Larry Richards likes to say that My Way is the theme song of everyone in hell. I did it my way, not yours. No serviam. That's uh, that's from uh, um, uh, Paradise Lost, I think, by Milton. I will not serve. Uh, uh, I think I'm amused, but I think there's much truth to it. I, I talked about funerals yesterday, and, uh, you know, what I really want to mention today is in Sacrosanum Concilium, we read that the the liturgy, though the source and summit of of our of our faith, does not exhaust the riches of the church. And once again, we have the liturgy, the hours. We have benediction. We have novenas. We have parish missions. We have forty hours devotions. We have. Um, prayer meetings. We have rosary devotion. Hymns are appropriate at all those things. And hymns are appropriate at Mass in certain places and in certain contexts. The big thing, though, is about... Well, I shared this with you. I'll share it one more time. That I, When I was a lad, a young, young, much younger priest, um... I, I was feeling in the need of prayer, and I heard there was a, a church downtown that had the old mass, and I was raised in the old mass, and I heard it was a, a beautiful high mass, and it would be glorious and lovely, hot summer day, and I just assumed the church was air-conditioned, because, well, churches are supposed to be air-conditioned, lest we sweat too much for Jesus. Well, I, I finished my Spanish mass, and I knew that I could get down to this particular church downtown uh, the way I drive, about 10 minutes. Well, I... I I was a little late for the Mass, and and uh, they had just started the offertory of the Mass, and I went in and knelt down. It was not a high Mass. It was a very low, low Mass, with an old priest mumbling into a wall in a language that I probably could have understood were able to hear him. But he's mumbling into a wall. The church is packed with families and kids. There's no air conditioning. Everybody's sweating. The children are squirming. And I said to the Lord in my heart, I said, Lord, I'm not having a very good experience here. And the Lord said, oh, you came for an experience. I thought you came to worship. And uh, <clears throat> touche, oh, I began to worship. And then, of course, I did have an experience. I understood the real presence. It's real whether I feel it or not. It's a real presence. And Mass is not about what... I, that was a pivotal experience in my life. And if you're doing something because, well, it's your self-expression, or it entertains you, or the people are going to love this hymn, don't do it. Would God love this hymn? Is this for the glory of God? Will, will this delight the Father? Will this... Will this uh, um, or will this grieve the Holy Spirit? You know, when I make Mass about me, what I like, whether I, it's the new Mass or the old Mass, whether it's the new Mass or the old Mass, if I do it because I like this, that's not a good reason to do it. If I, there are other reasons which we'll talk about at a later time. But uh, don't do it your way. Do it God's way. Well, who's to say that? Well, I'm the Reverend Noah. I'll tell you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's go to a break. We'll be back. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We will be right back, I hope.
The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. If you're in old habits, set in your old ways, changes are a-coming, cause these are changing days. And if your oh, head is yes. while things are going on... Change is inevitable. But not necessarily a good thing. You know, oh dear. Well, let's just go to letters. Oh, by the way, don't forget, before I jump into letters, we are, we are going to start our novena uh, for the Holy Souls. Go to Relevant Radio, uh, the website, or better still, the app, which you should get. Get the app, get the app, get the app, app, app. And uh, you can you can inscribe the names of your loved ones, and uh, we will pray for them, for the repose of their souls. And as I've been saying, I think it's a very important thing. You know, that, that these are tough times in purgatory because people are not praying for the holy souls. Uh, people say the rosary do, whether they know it or not, but pray for the holy souls. So, And we're going to be doing that at Relevant Radio starting November the 2nd, All Souls Day. Also, uh, I got asked a question about, um, uh, is All Saints Day a holy day of obligation? Why is it on the calendar? It's a solemnity. Well, Father, Father Rocky sent a note out about that, and... Uh, in accordance with canon law and the approval of the Holy See, the U.S. bishops decreed, decreed in 1992 that whenever January 1st, uh, uh, the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, August 15th, the Solemnity of the Assumption, or November 1st, the Solemnity of All Saints falls on a Saturday or Monday, the precept to attain, attend Mass is abrogated. In other words, you, so you should attend Mass, you don't have to. I put in the should. That's because I, I think I, I mentioned... Um, um, I, I, I said that I think yesterday. So, um, and, and also, um, uh, on the inner life, I mentioned, you know, people say, well, should the Christian celebrate th- um, Halloween, that horrible feast? And I think, yes, you should celebrate Halloween as part of a three day festival. The Eve of All Saints, then go to Mass on All Saints Day, then go to Mass on All Souls Day, take the kids. Um, even if you got to pull them out of school to do it, uh, uh, that we're, we celebrate these three days, which celebrate the triumph of the saints over death. And, you know, you don't have the kids wear violent or, or, or uh, demonic costumes. But a saint or a superhero, something like that, and go and get candy door to door, fine. Um, that, that you don't glorify Halloween, you, but, but it's, it's kind of a whistling past the graveyard. No demonic stuff, no violent stuff, just good fun in the context of celebrating the communion of saints and the church penitent in purgatory. Those are some of my happiest memories as a child, and they weren't demonic. Uh, things have gotten weird now. I would, If an adult invites me to a Halloween party for adults, I wouldn't go. I really wouldn't. But on the other hand, uh, to, to teach children that we've conquered death, well, that's not so bad. At least that's my theory. Just don't make it demonic or violent. All right. Uh, okay, that's just my opinion. All right. Oh, I got uh, John sent in. Uh, 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 he clarified it. Where'er the Catholic sun doth shine, there's always laughter and good red wine. At least I've always found it so. Benedicamus Domino. And it's a quote by Hilaire Bellic. So thank you, John, for clarifying that. Isn't Chesterton? Though I'm sure Chesterton would echo the sentiment 
Let's see here. Oh, this is kind of interesting. This is from uh, uh, Dan. Um, uh, that that um, he's talking about hymns at mass. First pastor would occasionally chide the congregation that they were singing like Catholics when they were singing quietly, not at all. And you know, I think that 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 is kind of uh, part of my my uh, sh- my shtick here at. Uh, at Mass Hysteria when I talk about that, because I think we heard, you know, I don't know if you've been to a Protestant church where they're singing hymns. It's glorious. They really sing. Catholics mumble. <laughs> you know, they, they don't, because it, it isn't really part of our tradition. And so in the grand days of the 60s and 70s, we decided all things Protestant were wonderful, and we had to imitate them, so we stopped chanting at Mass, and we started singing songs. That's not, no. Well, at any rate, he goes on to say, my brother occasionally insists that the Byzantine divine liturgy, and uh, he, he has, uh, uh, he tells me that the Byzantine free, uh, Byzantine priest friend thought that singing was forced on Latin Rite Catholics. That, to say, isn't part of our liturgical tradition. Um, I think that that is right. I know that I've attended the traditional Latin Mass. If there was singing, it was by a skull and not the rest of the congregation. I do think that the tr- the strong tradition that goes way back is, I mean, like we're talking third century. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of history as a church. I think that it was intended, that there were things intended to be sung by the congregation. That that uh, the, they, especially they came from a Jewish background, they would have sung the psalms. They would; these melodies came from time immemorial, and they just didn't say, "Oh, we can't sing that anymore. We're Christians now." No, they 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 were the fulfillment of the religion of Israel. They thought, and they would have continued to sing uh, the songs of 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 Jerusalem, which were the psalms. So, you know, I, I think that, um, yeah, that that it, it's uh, hymns at the mass are are kind of an artificial construct. Mm, that's. I think that if you really look at it there, but that's just my opinion. No, it's not. I've actually kind of studied this stuff. All right, let's see here. What? How, how are we doing time-wise? Okay. Um. Oh, dear. In reading, this is from Duke in Los Angeles. In reading Ephesians 2, 3, 8, I thought uh, that because of God's love for us, we're saved no matter how we lived in the past. Yeah, that's true. In the past, if we've repented, uh, of course. If so, do we really go to hell? <laughs> well, since through his mercy we're saved, and through his love he made us alive and raises us up and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God, I have heard it said, is a gentleman. He will not force us to be happy. If we decide to be miserable, he respects our decision. The, the substratum, the foundation of love, as I say constantly, is freedom. And if we decide we want to go to hell... God will let us go there. Well, no one decides they want to go to hell. Sure they do. I may think I don't want to go to hell, but the way I'm living, in a, in, a, in you know, I've met people who died and lived to tell about it, and they talk, I met people who said they went to hell. And what they really were struck by wasn't fire and brimstone, uh, but the absolute aloneness of hell. If you choose to be alone, God at one point will respect that. Now, a lot of us say, oh, it would be great to be alone. Maybe for a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, but utter dark aloneness. No love, no nothing. 
that's what people I know have been to hell describe it as. I mean, and also that you experience the pain you cause. I've heard that said about the judgment. So, you know, hell is the choice of me over love. It's the choice of narcissism over over God. And if that's what I want, that's what God in his love and mercy will give me. So, yeah, I, I, I really think it's important for us to understand that, that, that the scripture in some places seems to say, well, everybody gets saved. No, everybody can get saved. The scripture says that, that in his mercy and his justice, God makes provision for everyone he's ever created. But he gives everyone a free choice that I think is Bible. All right. Um, we're going to, uh, I think we're going to go to a, a little bit of a, 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 oh no, this one, I, I, hold on. There's one I really do want to answer here. Let me see which one it is. Okay. This is from Tracy. I'm in the process of converting to Catholicism. A dear non-Catholic friend of mine who's a strong Christian says I should, shouldn't put myself um, I shouldn't put myself under the Pope, but only Jesus. He says the church is the old wine skin, but the new wine can't be put into the old wine skin. He says that all we need is the Holy Spirit. We no longer need the church because it's preaching the wrong message. Um, you realize that there are thousands of major denominations in the United States, and I've heard that if you count all the small sects, there are about 20,000. You know, that... that this idea of of the church. The question is, where does one get the authority to translate scripture? And if you look at the church as just what's going on today, well, all right, there are problems, but there have always been problems. But if you look at the communion of saints and read the writings of the saints, and you see the church throughout history, it's amazing how God has been faithful to it, that very often, individual Christians, including the clergy, are don't live up to the beauty of the Lord. But the bride of Christ, she does. Now, this idea of the old wine, uh, if you look at that, I, I share this, if you look at that in the context, Jesus seems to be saying, I think that, that is mistranslated. New wine is mentioned once, and in that context, and the old wine is better. I'm thinking Jesus is saying that he is the old wine. He is the tradition of Israel brought forward. That that uh, It's very interesting that you look at that passage. No one having tasted old wine says the new, they prefers the new. They prefer the old. The Pharisees had kind of uh, uh, innovated. And Jesus, I think in that passage, is saying to the Pharisees, well, you know, you're new wine. I'm old wine. I'm 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 the God and father of I'm I'm the I'm the son of the God and father of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. I go all the way back to the beginning before Abraham was I am. Jesus this idea of new wine he in the new wine. Jesus the, the eternal and unchanging son of the father. And I wonder if in that passage. So uh, you know I don't know if that helps at all but but you know what church has the right to say it was founded by Jesus? There's an interesting uh, uh, thing you can find on the web saying uh, saying who founded my church. You know, we've got a lot of baggage, but I prefer, and I think God wants me to be in the church that was founded by Jesus through the ministry of the apostles, through the ministry of the apostles, that I can trace through the communion of saints. I can trace this authority back to the beginning. 
And why wouldn't I prefer it? All right, we're going to go to a break. So, Tracy, uh, one other thing that uh, I think was the great English, uh, I think it was, it was the encyclopedia, Samuel Johnson said that when you are a Protestant who becomes a Catholic, you lose nothing. You still have Jesus. You still have the Bible. But he didn't see how, and he was not Catholic. He didn't see how a person who wasn't Catholic could leave, or was Catholic, could leave the Catholic Church without losing his mind, because he lost the tradition. He lost the link to the to the origins of Christianity. He lost the communion of saints. He lost two thousand continuous years of beautiful literature, um, which continued the, the the teaching of Christ uh, year by year. So, you know, Tracy, when you become Catholic, you will still have the Bible in Jesus. Um, and you become you you gain so much more um say just just say well if you're if you're good where you're at okay but i'm looking for something fuller deeper and older even the wine all right we're going to go to a break we'll come back 888-914-9149 888-914-9149 we shall be back god willing The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. No, the Bible says you're going to recline at the welcome table, and that will be the word of the day. Let's go to the word of the day. And I do think there are some call-in spaces at 888-914-9149. The word of the day is anaclino, which means I recline. Did you notice that in the reading that it says... um, uh, people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. You guessed it. I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God again. I'm sorry. It's a big idea in the Bible. you got to understand it. But what is this reclining? Well, in the ancient world, uh, the Greeks and the Romans, they ate on couches. Seriously. I, I, I've tried to do this. You know, when you're studying ancient Greek and Latin, somebody has the idea of let's have an authentic Roman meal. You have to lay on a bunch of cushions um, and you've got a central dining table. In most cases, it was just a dining blanket. And you prop yourself up on these pillows, leaning on your left elbow and eat with your right hand. It is excruciatingly uncomfortable, I think. But the ancients thought that it was a penance to eat uh, um, sitting up. Women and children ate setting up, sitting up. Men ate reclining. And then eventually women and children also did the reclining on the couch thing. And there would be these wide kind of, well, slanted beds sort of thing. And you would put three people on each one. And you would arrange them around a table. Or they would be in an open U shape and, and the servants, the slaves, would come in and put different things in front of you. Uh, that was the idea. It was, it was the posh way to eat. Now, the poor, very interestingly, in ancient Rome, the poor didn't have kitchens. They ate out. Uh, they had the thermopolia, which were these sort of quick lunch stands. And you would have um, prepared food. You'd bring your clay pot or whatever, and you'd have 
three scoops of that porridge and and some of that that uh, the voice in my head just said thermopolia sounds like a disease <laughs> no no it was well it was it sometimes caused disease but no the all, the rich ate at home because they had kitchens and dining rooms and all that you wouldn't have a kitchen in a roman apartment building they had these buildings that were called insulae islands they were huge and if you had a fire in one of them chances are you're going to burn down the whole building so uh you, you tended not to have uh, to cook at home. You went to these carryout places. But if you were posh, if you were aristocratic, you ate lying down at home. And that's what this is about. Now, it sounds like, uh, I'm always telling you, the kingdom of God really means God's royal nature. Well, doesn't this mean heaven when you die? People will come from the east, the west, the north, and the south. First of all, that's a problem. Because Jews did not eat with non-Jews, lest they eat something unclean. That was one of the purposes of kosher law. It kept you from socializing with other people. It has become so much easier to eat with Orthodox Jews because most paper plates are kosher. So they have to have the kosher seal on them. But you can do it now much more easily than in the past. But it kept you apart from people. So you didn't go to somebody's house to eat if you were Jewish, and people didn't come to your house to eat. You didn't eat with with the uncircumcised. Uh, St. Uh, Peter gets in trouble in the Acts of the Apostles because he's eating and drinking with the uncircumcised. Well, uh, so when you see Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, along with these people from the, the east and the west and the north and the south, there are going to be lots of different people in heaven. Well, yeah, in the kingdom of God. I want to tweak that a little. The word kingdom is basilea. A king is a basileus. Kingdom is basilea. That's like a paranoid has paranoia. A king has basilea. That that it is primarily a quality of the king. That where the king is, there is the kingliness. And so you're reclining at table in the royal presence. Why am I making such a big deal of that about it? Because it's about relationship. It isn't about, man, I'm going to have this nice house of gold. No, you're not. Bible doesn't say that. It says, in my father's house, there are many places to stay. The word in Greek is monai. It means a, a place to stay. In other words, your room is ready in the father's house. We're going to live together. This idea that I'm going to get my own mansion and I'll just be cool and I'll have everything I want and uh, I'll call you if I need you. No, heaven is about relationship and the primary relationship is that relationship, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's God's God's royalness. We're going to eat and drink in the royal presence. We see that in the uh, book of Exodus that that the elders of Israel ate in the presence of God. That's That's the sense of kingdom. So uh, I think that's important. All right, we the phones are open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. But before we go to phones, and, and there's plenty of phone room, uh, before we go to phones, I would like to uh, go to, uh, I, there's a letter, another letter that I really wanted to, to deal with. Oh, this, this is kind of interesting. This is from Celia. Um, she was listening to the October 12th show, which was a while ago, in regards to Pharisees and the observance of the law. Don't you think some of our Catholic laws are sort of pharisaical? For example, the wine has to be consecrated in a gold chalice and can't be consecrated in any chalice made of stone or glass. That, that's not true. That that the, the text says it must be a noble material. or the, the communion bread has to be unleavened, not a speck of leaven, or it will be invalid. That's not true either. 
that that in the Western Church we use unleavened bread, in the Eastern Church they use leavened bread. Rules are very important. Uh, um, that that oh, and she says we must fast for one hour before communion. We sin if we fast only fifty-five minutes before communion. Rules are important. Uh, I I lived in a neighborhood uh, uh, uptown in Chicago, which was one of the great melting pot neighborhoods uh, of the United States, and uh, nobody agreed on anything. I will never forget uh, a woman who was clearly Nigerian. Let us say she was statuesque. She was not petite, and she was dressed in the glorious outfit of Nigerian women, the, the turban and the beautiful cloth, and and she was in the um, the produce department. There was a great sale on corn, sweet corn. And she was shucking the corn there. And there was this little fellow, a little fellow. He was not statuesque. And he, he was kind of a typical urbanite sort. And he is just wailing away, ragging on this woman, just, just upset. We don't do it this way in the country. And I looked at that. I said, sir... She could squash you like a bug. <laughs> and he followed her around the store, yelling about how she shouldn't be shucking the corn in the produce department. Where she came from, that probably was the way you did it. Where he came from, it wasn't. Rules are very important. They teach us how to get along with each other. They make accommodations. What the Pharisees did was they defined the rules to the point of absolute rigorism. Rules are important. And we have, as St. Paul's been telling us in the letter of the Romans, a law that's built inside of us. You don't just neglect rules. And, you know, well, about the fast, you know, the, the thing is obedience. The sin is not that I have eaten uh, 59 minutes before communion, and it is 50 or 60 minutes before the reception of communion. You can dawdle in the line if you think it's only 55 minutes. The the purpose is obedience. In other words, if I have a lawless spirit, that is sin. If I say, I don't have to follow any rules, say, oh, the rules are important, I'm going to do my best to follow them, that's what the Bible calls a teachable spirit. Whereas that lawless spirit, that unteachable spirit, that is sin. So, you know, the Pharisees defined things so precisely that you could get around them fairly easily. And that's not what we're doing with the rules in the church. We have rules and customs and things that we do, and they sometimes change place to place. Well, how can they change if they're human? Because they are human. And they're they're to serve human beings in in human communities. The law of God is unchanging. It's written in our heart. But the rules and regulations, the canon laws, they change from time to time and often from place to place. So it kind of is the opposite of Phariseeism. You can make Phariseeism out of it, this exaggerated uh, uh, preoccupation with legal precision. But that is not the sin of our age, believe me. It's quite the opposite. Rules are important. They teach us how to get along with one another. They teach us to be disciplined. They teach us to be uh, subtle in the hands of God. All right, we have a phone call. Who have we got? Hello. <laughs> Hello. Dolores from Phoenix. What can I do for you, Dolores? Uh, hi, Father Simon. Uh, Father Simon, um, uh, first of all, I want to applaud you for quoting Samuel Johnson regarding 
what you lose when you leave the Catholic faith, and uh, uh, at the same time, what you gain when you become a Catholic. But my question is, I have a friend who, a fallen away Catholic, 40 years now, and he's convinced that he's going to purgatory. So my question is, uh, who ends up in purgatory? And why, and why is he convinced? <laughs> I don't understand it. Well, purgatory is, is I, I identify purgatory in the judgment. I, I think they're really the same thing. You know, I've, I'm always talking about people I know have died and lived to tell about it. And they talk about experiencing all the pain they caused. That's, that's terrifying to me because I've caused pain in my life, you know, to other people and, and to very dear people. That we experience the pain we caused. That, that purgatory is, you read in the catechism, it's much more a process than a place. It's being purged of our selfishness. And I remember the, the teaching story uh, that so many people quote. It's something Michelangelo actually said. That uh, they asked him how he got all those saints and angels of prof- and prophets out of blocks of stone. He said, "Oh, it's easy. That God puts the saint or the angel in the stone, and I just chip away everything that isn't the saint or the angel." Well, God looks at me and He sees Jesus, and He begins to chip away everything that isn't Jesus. And some of us, when they're done chipping away everything that isn't Jesus, there won't be anything left. Others of us will be very small uh, dashboard statuettes, I, I figure. So so purgatory is that place of being purged of everything that is not conformed to the image of Christ. And what's the image of Christ? We find it in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Love, peace, patience, joy, all that long-suffering kindness. So he thinks he's going to purgatory. Oh, he's definitely going to purgatory. And let's hope he just stays there. But uh, if I'm right, the purgatory and judgment are the same thing. We will all face the judgment, and some of us will be condemned. Um, because that's what Jesus says in the gospel. He says, today will many be saved? He says, uh, enter through the narrow gate. In other words, mm, I'm not making any promises about that. So, um, you know, that that, that um, if we if we live only for ourselves, then that's who we are forever. So I would say if maybe you can listen to this, and I have met people who have been to hell, and it's not nice. Um, it it uh, it's very real, and so um, uh, you know he should be so lucky to go to purgatory, uh, and it's a terrible thing to presume on the mercy of God that that I can be a horrible human being. Uh, and and still and still think I'm you know God's nice and I'm going to make it. What did Voltaire say? God God will forgive. It is his business. Mm, no, love and truth are his business. So I hope your friend is right, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to just risk it that way. I, I he needs to reach out to Jesus. Does that help a little? Oh, absolutely. Have him listen to this. <laughs> Tie him down with duct tape and force him to listen to the Reverend Know It All on Purgatory. <laughs> there you go. That'll I shall do that, Father. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful. There are laws. <laughs> well, thanks for calling in. Thanks so much for calling, and thanks for listening. All right, we're about to end, but that's good news because that means Drew is coming up. And Drew is a smart cookie, and he will lead us in prayer in the Divine Chaplet and the Chaplet of the Divine Mercy. You know... Biggest prayer meeting in history, Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Be there or be square, as we say in the 60s. All right, well, I hear music in my head, and God willing, I'll be with you tomorrow. And, oh, we'll do more on the Letter to the Romans. I just I just think the Letter to the Romans is, it's, oh, it's so, uh, so, uh, 
chocked full of good stuff. Oh, tomorrow is, is a feast day, though. We'll do Ephesians. That's good, too.